Testing it. Yes. Look at that. Slick. I always find this fun. Where do people like it? I think you speak with it pretty much dead centre in front of you because you like to move around. It's a game I like to play. Remember where people like the lectern. I th I'm pretty sure. We'll see now. But uh, here you go. There's a new game for everyone to play. Where does the speaker like the lectern? Should have crosses on the floor, you're right. <coughs> Just letting our kids out. There's a few things that I want to mention um, to the few of you who are here. We have our church reimagined on the 10th, and Hannah is still looking for volunteers to be involved with that. It would be really great if as many of us as possible um, could uh, could could not just only be at that, but to help serve at it. Um, this is our new Christmas um, flyer. It'll be coming out soon as an actual physical flyer, hopefully this week. Um, and we've got this. We will put it on all of our social medias. Um, we're also going to pass it on to Mycecoid. Mycecoid, every single year, ask for our stuff because they want to put it out on their socials. That's how much now they trust us um, to, be, to be delivering stuff that is, is good for families. And so um, keep these guys in your prayer. Keep this place in your, in your prayers as, as, as we go through this season. Um, we want to. We're doing something pretty much every weekend leading up to uh, Christmas. The only one that isn't on a Sunday morning is uh, Saturday the sixteenth, which is Carols by Candlelight, and uh, we are going to have. It's going to be cozy in here. We're going to have lights. Uh, we want you to bring your friends. Um, there's going to be just um, like a short message, gospel message. But the reality is, is we just want to enjoy time together and uh, to have mince pies, to to be singing uh, Christmas carols, and actually as a church. We're relational. Um, we rely on relationship to actually build and form uh, friendships with people so that they ask us questions. And so we want to be, we want to create a space where you can have conversations with people about the Christmas message, uh, not just from the front, um, but actually to start building relationships. So please bring your friends and your family to that. That would be amazing. That's a Saturday night. Um, and then uh, our Christmas Eve service. We are going to meet on Christmas Eve here in the morning. If you would like to come, it's going to be a fun morning. I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to do the whole thing where people bring their gifts to see you had the best ones. Everybody, does anybody remember that when they were kids? What a strange thing to do. You'd have a Christmas service and all the kids would bring their gifts. You have one kid who bring a bouncy ball and another kid who brings like a full on like GTX kind of like uh, remote control car and they've got to stand up the front at the same time. What an absolute load of rubbish that was. But, um, but no, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. We want you all to be there. Um, that'd be amazing. It's just going to be an hour or so, just uh, a time to kind of reflect on the season. And it's going to be one of our fun ones where, you know, we do videos and we have our kids doing something insane like they always do. Uh, but it's always good fun and we love that. So please, please come along to that. The other thing as well is next week we're going to be doing something which is pretty much along the lines of Abbey Ruins Christmas. I don't know if you remember years ago we did something called the 12 Myths of Christmas. We're kind of reimagining that. And at the moment, the only name that we've got for it is Abbey Ruins Christmas because we we all remember when I said that there was no donkey and everyone went mental. And so uh, we're doing that on the 3rd. So that'll be fun. That's like a bit of a discussion. It's not a normal Sunday in the sense that both me and Luke are going to be up here kind of chatting away. So if you want to bring a friend to that, uh, please feel free to do that. This is a great opportunity to, to bring people to church during the Christmas season. People are more open to the church environment at this time. Um, uh, Neil is going to come and share with us this morning and... Um, I just want to pray for Neil before he before he comes. We are blessed in this church with um, incredible uh, Bible teachers and and people who understand the Bible. I just want to um, 
just again, like, I, I've got the privilege of being able to go around different churches and see different people and chat in different environments. And I want you to know that you've got the best in in these two guys in this church. Just their understanding of the word, the longevity of it, um, their interpretation of it. Um, we're so blessed in this church to have these guys. You're really good too, you know, oh, isn't you? Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll take it. Yes, I'll, I'll take the ten. I'll, I'll give you the tenor later. But thank you. We are so blessed in this church. And so, um, if I can encourage you, just in this moment, as I'm praying for Neil, just ask God that He would speak to you. Um, we always we we want to um, prepare as best we can, but ultimately we want the Spirit to speak to us, and we always believe that. And so, um, as I pray for Neil, can I just ask you guys to open your heart that God will speak to you through today's message? Lord, we thank you that that Neil has prepared this week, and we pray a blessing on his preparation. Lord, we pray that as he speaks this morning, that he would be really clear with the message that you have to bring. So we ask, Lord, that as he's done all the preparation, he's got all the notes in his head. I pray that you would just shine a light through um, his mind about the way that he's got to go and what he's got to share for us, that you would speak to us as individuals and as a church. We we bless your name in this place and we honor your word. And so we lift you up this morning, God, and ask that you just engage with us um, in a way that we will understand this morning through Neil. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Abby. Now, as some of you know, um I go to Sweden fairly regularly, not because I've got this thing about Sweden, although it is a really nice country, really nice place to go. But my son lives there with his family, and to me, they're more important than anything about going to Sweden. So I, I look, really look forward to it. But the best and the quickest way to Sweden is to catch a plane. So I, I'm one of these people that really enjoys a flight. I love sitting by the window. I love seeing the plane take off and the, the whoosh and the rush. And I love the other way as well, um, particularly when we came into Cardiff one year and the winds were so strong as we were coming off the, uh, off the Bristol Channel that as we came into Cardiff Airport, uh, you know, the, where the cliff is over Porthcarry Park and and uh, the way the dr updraft of the wind can come. And as the plane was coming in, it felt this updraft, and it was really full-on wind that particular day. And as we hit the runway, the plane was actually going diagonally down the runway, you know, just to be able to, to keep on the runway. And uh, I absolutely... I thoroughly enjoyed it. Carla's sitting next to me, eyes closed, praying like mad, you know, and uh, really hoping that we'll, we'll survive this flight. And then at the end of it, everybody cheered. It was amazing. You know, everybody clapped the, the pilot. And I thought, well, not a bad job. Ah, I really enjoyed that. But, you know, there was uh, an occasion where I went with one flight. And, uh, you know, when they do EasyJet and places like this, they do these quick turnaround flights. Well, if you happen to be on the second flight of the day, the first flights come in from your destination, wherever it is, Copenhagen or Amsterdam or wherever, um, they've had all the choice of the menu, what's there. And so when you're going back out the other way, they haven't got so much choice. And sometimes the choice isn't that great. As a semi-vegetarian, I say that because I like chicken and turkey, I like white poultry meat, and uh, I also like fish. Not seafood, but I like fish. And, uh, you know, really quite enjoy those. But uh, the rest of the time, I'm vegetarian. But I'm sat in this plane and... Uh, it comes over the tunnel and says, sorry, folks, um, we've only got two items still left on the menu. 
And I'm thinking, oh, goodness, anything vegetarian, at least something I can eat. And they said, we have white chicken breast and we have German sausage. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm glad there was chicken breast on it. Anyway, we were sat right at the back of the plane. And this particular plane, instead of having a, you know, a point at one end and a point at the other end and the, the stewards meet in the middle with uh, their tra trays and trolleys or whatever they call them, um, there was just one coming from the front. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, we're going to be the last one. So what's it going to be? Am I going to have breast or is it versed? Never mind, you didn't get that, did you? The best or the worst? Am I going to get the breast or the worst? Never mind. Sorry, Mary, I really got you there, didn't I? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's interesting the things, isn't it, that um, affect us in life. Sorry, that actually wasn't a story about me. That was somebody else. I just read it this week, you know. So I thought, well, Abby's, Abby's going to be telling these stories. I thought, I'll have a go myself. I stick to my day job, I think. Um, but you know, one thing about getting older is that you, the things that excite you, the things that you begin to gain the wonder of childhood again. It's really interesting. They say that the, the reason why grandparents get on so well with their grandchildren is because they know how to become childlike with them and full of fun. And, you know, I realized that the way it was affecting me when they brought in the 20 mile an hour thing. Because uh, now when I'm driving 20 mile an hour, I think, well, this is the, this is the speed pensioners drive at. You know, they're thinking, yeah, this is, this is it. I understand this. But, you know, when I get to a 30 mile an hour road and I put my foot down, I think, whoa, this is exciting. But when I get on the motorway, wow, I'm in heaven. You know, so there is a, a plus side to changing the you know, the road sign speed. So it's just think of all the pensioners who are, you know, getting this incredible excitement like when they're able to drive at 50 or 70 miles an hour. It's just, I tell you, it's wonderful. But never mind. Anyway, coming to the theme for today, we're carrying on with where we were last week. If you've got your Bible, it will be up on the screen, but I'm reading from John chapter 8, verse 32 and verse 36. Right. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then four verses later, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, there's a word here that I skipped over for many, many years. And in some translations, they try to change the word in. But the NIV is good. It's kept it in there. And it's this word, had. Had. And it's an important word. As I was doing some investigation this last week about it, there was one particular theologian, Tasker, um, RV, I think it's RVG Tasker, who wrote a commentary on John's Gospel. And he says, this little word has the sense of the past about it. And in a sense, if you think about it, I skim over it thinking, well, these are people who are believers. But actually, he said, those who had believed 
And there are times when we meet people who at one time did believe. But something got in the way, something, maybe the pleasures of life, maybe the, the pressures of life, maybe certain circumstances they'd faced or whatever. And whilst they had believed in him, then, but that belief was now shaky or non-existent. And it actually answers the whole tenor behind the, the whole passage if you read in this section, because Jesus is under attack. He's got these, these Jewish folk who are suddenly finding that his teachings, which they liked seeing his miracles, they liked seeing what he did and all the rest, suddenly he's saying things that make them feel that their Jewishness, that their belief in who they are, their religion and culture and all the rest, that there's something that he's saying that makes them feel as if, are we in the wrong? Is there something about us that isn't right? And so when you read the chapter, you'll see, and chapters before that, you'll see these occasions when the Pharisees and others would just really attack Jesus. But Jesus comes back, and I'm just so grateful that I wasn't one of those people. Because Jesus is quite straight about what he says. You know, we think of Jesus, this idea of the little baby in the manger, meek and mild. There's nothing meek and mild about this particular Jesus, unless you're going back to the original words of what it is to be meek. To be meek meaning that you're submissive. And he is submissive to the Father's will. But he's certainly not weak. He's certainly not this gentle little Jesus that everybody can fit into the box that suits them. He's someone who will confront issues if he feels they need confronting. But Jesus' purpose in all that he does is that people should know the truth and that they should be set free. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to reveal the truth. And in fact, Jesus in himself is the embodiment of the truth. He is the embodiment of God's truth. And he wants to reveal his truth more and more to us. And sometimes when Jesus reveals the truth to us, it can be uncomfortable. I know that from experience. It can be incredibly uncomfortable when Jesus suddenly highlights something in our lives that he wants to deal with, that he wants to speak about. And he is our advocate. And sometimes our advocate has to speak truth into our lives. But Jesus is the truth. So when we look at what he has to offer us today, it's about living the Jesus way, living his way. Not just liking what Jesus says and does, it's a life commitment to becoming more like him. So it's not just to come to church and say, yeah, I think Jesus is a great guy and I sing these lovely songs about him and it's great and all the rest, but it's actually taking it further than that and it's saying, I want to hold on to, as Jesus put it here, hold on to his teaching. 
because he says when you do that, when you practice what he says, when you hold on to it and you make it yours and you make it something you want to live out, then that's the commitment Jesus is calling to us to, to be disciples of his, to be apprentices of Jesus. He's calling us to that. But it all starts with us making a choice and entering into a covenant with him. And what I found as a, as a follower of Jesus now for a long time, since I was 13 years of age when I made my first commitment to follow Jesus. When I first made that, it was, you know, it was a very powerful moment because I, you hear people weeping their way to the cross, so to speak, and that was me. Because Jesus just honed in on my life, just spoke to me, talked to me about the things that had happened in my childhood. It's interesting, last week when I heard Luke talking about being lost in Marks and Spencers, I had an identical experience as a child. And yet, you know, that experience, God taught me through that, that he would come and find me. He's always been looking for me. When I was uh, in a road accident as a child, how doctors brought me through that whole experience, told my parents not to expect a lot. Some of my friends still think they shouldn't expect a lot from me, but you know, God healed me. God brought me back, and over the years, God's proved that healing. And God has done remarkable things. And God has used those things in my life to speak to me. So there's nothing that happens to us that God, however bad it is, there's nothing that God can't use to speak into our lives. But sometimes it can become a little bit uncomfortable. So what have we learned so far about John's gospel? What we've had. We've learned he's the miracle worker in John 2 the giver of new life in John 3, the quencher of our spiritual thirst in John 4, the Son of God in John 5, the bread of life in John 6, the giver, sorry, I've run out of fingers, the giver of eternal life in John 6, the giver of the Spirit in John 7, and the bringer, last week we learned, the bringer of lights, the one who wants to bring light into our darkness. It was a good word, wasn't it, that Luke brought us last week? very good but you know this one is where Jesus wants to bring us into freedom wants to bring us into truth have you ever watched that um, in fact John chapter 8 and verse 53 it says this, this is the what the Jews are saying to Jesus who do you think you are have you ever watched that TV program on BBC One? Uh, Carla and I have been enjoying watching the, the uh, catch-up on iPlayer. They're great. They go through all these celebrities who look, delve into their past with their family trees to find out who they really are, who what their background is. And, you know, as they look into the past, as they look, some of them have some real big surprises. Some of them wish they'd never been asked to go on the program because some of the things that come out really shock them. Some of them about their family's poverty. Some of them about 
the criminals in their family line and various other things like that. Some of them find out who are musicians have found themselves uh, looking back at the family and find out that the, the history in their family of musicians has just been right the way through. It's been like a heritage to them. You know, there was, uh, I've got a cousin who's really into the family tree and uh, on my mother's side, he's from my mother's side of the family. He's my mother's brother's, no, yeah, he's my mother's brother's son, if you can work that out. And uh, we, he's about the same age as me, and we get, get together every now and again, and he tells me what he's discovered from going back through the family history. Apparently, there was a, a vicar in the family who uh, chose, as was his right, apparently, I don't know if it's still true today, but as it was his right, to be buried under the, under the altar piece, in the, in, under the altar in the church, um, and that was his choice, and he, he asked to be buried there, and, and so his bones are still there today, wherever this church is, somewhere in the West Country, because my mum's from, family are from the West Country. And uh, I've got another relative who was condemned to be transported out to Australia for th a minor theft. And uh, he was in prison, in a prison in, um, on the side of the Thames, and there's a plaque there today that in that part of London where on the Thames it tells you about this prison. But he found out, my cousin found out, that uh, this particular relative got pardoned. So he never ever went to Australia, never became one of the exported convicts. But he, he actually lived his life out in peace then and never did commit, from what I understand, um, any crimes after that. But you know, you look back in your family and you find out all these details, all these things that happened. And uh, he normally comes out with some gem every time I go there, it tells me about the family. Some of them make you cringe and some of them you think, oh, that's nice, you know. But very often we've got things in our family history we've, we've realized, we wish nobody else knew. There was one I can't remember the celebrity's name, one lovely girl who spoke about her family history, how they come from the Caribbean, she was Afro-Caribbean, and how um, you know, she thought her family had been in slavery and then had managed to come over in the Windrush and generation and all that sort of thing. But when they went back in the family line, they found out that her uh, relative was actually a free man who'd been a slave trader. And that hit her like a, a rock, it really did. It really shook her world to realize that a relative of hers had been a slave trader. So, you know, these are fascinating stories when you look, about, look at them. And the question I want to, well, the question the Jews were asking of Jesus was, you know, they, they were talking about his the authority that he had to speak, who was his spiritual heritage. They were saying he was illegitimate. They were questioning who his father was. They were accusing him of being demon-possessed because he wasn't saying the things they wanted to hear. And he was saying things that went right against their spiritual culture. 
So they were, you know, asking him lots of questions and they were, their knowledge was obviously incorrect. But they were firing these things at Jesus and he was coming back. And it's a wonderful passage in Romans 8 where you see Jesus coming back at them and he doesn't pull any punches with them. There's one where he says that they were slaves. Boy, did that hit it. But we're, we're free. We're children of Abraham. We're not slaves to anybody. But Jesus hit the nail on the head. He told them that they were, they were slaves. I'll come to that a little bit more, hopefully later. But when you look at your own life, what does the enemy say about you? What does the enemy say in your innermost thoughts, what does he say about you? When I say the enemy, I mean Satan, the devil himself. He's very real. He's not some you know, cartoon caricature. He's very real, and he tempts us, and he lies to us. But what lies does the enemy tell you about yourself in the privacy of your mind? Do you think that you're not good enough, not clever enough, a failure? Do you have imposter syndrome? Do you think, I don't really deserve? I sing about what God has done for me and the free gift that Jesus has given me, but I just don't feel I deserve it. These are all lies that Satan wants you to believe about yourself and more. He'll remind you of all the failures in your life. But you know where it's coming from because Satan condemns now, God might convict you of sin. He might speak to you about something that you need to sort out in your life. But the enemy only ever condemns you. So if you've got a thought that's a condemning thought, you know exactly where it's coming from. Because God wants to release you into freedom. You're a precious child of God with a hope and a future. God gave his son on the cross because he knows that you are worth it. So when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and you think, oh my goodness, I look in the mirror and think, who is that old geezer, you know, and think, but you know, when you look in the mirror, you can say to yourself, Jesus died for me because I am worth it. He, God, thought, and God believes, God knows that I'm worth it. And that goes against the grain in some Christian circles because they like to talk about us being worms and goodness and all sort else. But, you know, I'm not a worm. I'm a child of God. God made me the way he did because he, and he redeemed me because he believed I was worth it. So when that advert comes on the telly and some actress tells you, because I'm worth it, you know, you can say, hang on a minute, I'm worth it because of what Jesus has done for me, not because of a cosmetic or aftershave that I'm wearing. I'm worth it. You are worth it. And if you have problems with your thoughts, if you struggle with temptations to think badly of yourself, if you have a problem in reining your thoughts and your actions in, then I have, I didn't bring it with me today, I meant to, and uh, 
I shut my computer down before I had a chance to print them, print some off. But I have a sheet that was originally produced by free the organization called Freedom in Christ, which is full of scriptures about who you are in Christ. Now, if you want a copy of that, text me, you know, just or email me or whatever. Come on the church thing. Maybe I'll put it up on the church. Uh, yeah, I'll put it up on the church thing so you can download it and read it and use it. But it's good. There's lots of scriptures on there about who you are in Christ. And it's worth, if you're a person that struggles with your thoughts, it's worth taking those scriptures and actually thinking about them, praying about them, meditating on them. Cut them out and stick them on your mirrors in the house. Stick them on your kitchen cupboards if, or the toaster or wherever that you go on a regular basis, the fridge or whatever it is that you end up, you know, stick these up there and try and learn them. So when the enemy comes in, you're able to say, no, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is what God thinks about me. So I'll put that up on the church WhatsApp and you can... Uh, download it and, and use it. And if there's somebody listening to this this morning, I don't normally say things like this, but if somebody's listening to this as a podcast and you would like that, email the church and we'll make sure that we send it out to you. But you know, what we are in Christ is more important than what we think and what we are told by the enemy in our thoughts. Well, what's important to you? Your history or your destiny? Slavery or freedom? What's the most important thing? I know what I choose. But you know, the Jews who were listening to Jesus were bound by their past. They were bound by their tradition. We're children of, of um, Abraham. You know, with this, with that, with the other. Their knowledge and understanding of what God wanted was incomplete. And Jesus was rattling the, the cage, so to speak. He was just really just upsetting them by the things he was saying. Jesus challenged, was challenging them to listen to God's message. And he was saying, you know, listen to what I, why don't you believe me? Listen to what I'm telling you, because my Father has sent me to speak to you, has sent me with this message for you to set you free. But they were caught in the history. What's the dominant focus on your life? Is it your past or is it your future? Now, I can look back. I'm fortunate to be able to look back in my family. On both sides, I look, I can see on my father's side, my father was, was a Christian who loved Jesus was really passionate about sharing Jesus with others. He used to take me onto the streets of Cardiff in my teens on a Friday night, and we'd just go and find people and talk to them. Anybody that would listen, we'd talk to them about Jesus. And uh, we'd just try and engage people, which when they're going on a night out is, and their attention is elsewhere, it's not always the best of things, but he would do this. He was just so passionate about Jesus. My, his father was passionate about Jesus. He built, a, um, with, obviously with a group of other men, they built the, uh, the Assemblies of God Church in Morriston. 
just outside of Swansea. They built that church and they, first of all, it was a, one of these little corrugated metal churches, which you don't see many of those around now. And then they pulled that down and they built a brick church and it's still there today with a congregation worshiping the Lord. And my grandfather was part of that pioneering group. Now my dad was a, was a minister. My grandfather was what they called an overseer. He, uh, when they didn't have a minister, he was the, the deacon who was in charge of making sure the church was okay, and both of them were preachers. Not only that, but my grandfather's mother, when he went off to war, because he became a Christian in the trenches, all because his mother gave him a Bible. She stuck it in his rucksack or whatever it was, his backpack or whatever, and he took that with him into the trenches, and he read that Bible while he was there in the awful, he was a sniper out in the Somme. And he was one of these guys who would sneak up over the top and, you know, look for targets and, and shoot, shoot them. And he was, uh, he used to love to smoke his woodbines. And he was a real man of the world, full of tattoos and all the rest. He was, uh, but God got hold of him in the trenches and he gave his life to Jesus. He was the only man in his particular, I would say regiment, but I don't know, in battalion or whatever, he was the only one who survived. And he has spent a lot of time in the hospital that used to be out in um, Wenvo Way, just recovering with his lungs, everything else, because he got mustard um, gas poisoning. And uh, he wasn't supposed to have saliva, but God healed him, and he had saliva, and he was a medical mystery because they used to have him up on, whenever they had medical students coming and that, they would roll him out and they'd say his history, and they say he got gassed by mustard gas and all the rest, and he shouldn't actually have um, saliva in his mouth, but he has. And these students would examine him and all the rest, and, but it was a real testimony they say to him well how is this possible and my grandfather would never miss a trick he would always tell them about jesus and how jesus had healed him but then going on to his mother his mother was uh, part of a team of women who built a methodist church in Plasmal in swansea they built a church and there's a picture apparently my sister has it of uh, my great grandmother uh, with a, you know, the, the old long dresses they had and a apron and she had rocks or whatever in this apron and she was carrying them ready so that the, the guys in the church could actually then put them into place and there was a Methodist church there and she was of a particular, what do they call them, the particular and the peculiar Methodist? Funny name. But apparently my, my grandfather told me once that he went because he, when he was young, he didn't have much truck with these religious people. But one time, he and a couple of his friends, because they'd heard they, this Methodist church had very lively uh, services, so they climbed up on the roof, and they looked through the window, and they, the people were worshipping God. And they had a violinist amongst other musicians there. And this violin, because, you know, in a Methodist church, they have an altar rail at the front where you can go and have your communion. And this... He, he said he, he was totally 
blown away by this, but he laughed a lot about it as well. But this violinist got up on this altar rail and was really worshiping the Lord and praying as he walked around the altar rail. Now I tell you, says that the Methodist church can't be lively, you know, that was quite something. Now why I'm telling you these things, because if I look on my mother's side, she was also had a Methodist history in the, in the family. And there was one particular um, great aunt, I think it was, or great, great aunt, who would challenge the local vicar and they would have these big conversations about doctrine and about uh, theology and that. And so they would go on. So I can look back in my family and I can see that there was a history, a Christian history. But you know, God doesn't have grandchildren. I'm not a grandchild of God because I was in a family where there were believers going back several generations because I learned very quickly that I had to be a first-generation believer. I couldn't rely on my history. And here you have these Jews who were relying on their history. They did their practices and that, but they didn't have a personal an upfront relationship with God for themselves. They believed that as long as they did the sacrifices, as long as they did went to synagogue, as long as they did various things, they put the phylacteries on the, on the doors and things like this, that they would touch and bless as they walked through the front door and all this sort of thing. And that lots of rules, lots of regulations that they believed if they did those things, that was enough. And here comes Jesus and saying, it's not enough. You need to believe in me. You need to believe and follow the teachings I give you. You need to follow those things because God has a destiny. It's not about your history. It's about your destiny. And today I'm here, yes, in part because of my family background, but I'm here because of God. I'm here because of what he wants to do in my life. And you know, the dominant focus of your life whether it's your pastor or your future, will govern the kind of believer that you are. Satan, the enemy of our souls, will try to define us by our failures of our past. And I tell you what, as a human being, I've made some real corkers of failures and mistakes. And I think if we're absolutely honest, most of us would say, yes, I've made some mistakes. I've done some things which are awful, terrible, or whatever. But God is not interested in us being held down from that. You know, Scripture is very, very clear. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from anything that's unrighteous. James. But, you know, not unrighteous in James. I mean, the, the Scripture is in James. James chapter 1, I believe. But, you know, Satan would want to hold us back from the best and the most effective life that God has for us. God wants us to live our best life in him. That doesn't mean it won't be difficult. It doesn't mean there won't be problems, but he wants us to live our best life. He has a plan for each and every one of us, and he's saying, come and enter in. Come and be part of it. Now, sometimes you might scupper it and things will change or whatever, but God wants to use us. He wants, he's got a future for us and a hope. His desire is to bring the best out of each one of us. As Paul says in Philippians, I do not regard myself, this is Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. 
He says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now that, I think, is a fantastic scripture. I had that for a long time on my wall. And I would just look at that and say, that's my goal, the upward call of God. That's where I'm going. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. And it's good to have a future destiny, a look in your life and say, I know what I was, but this is who I am and this is where I'm going. This is what I'm aiming for. Well, could your view of life be slavery or freedom? We can choose to live in the slavery of religion, prejudice, the philosophies of this world, the lies of the enemy, the sins that he gets us into. Or we can choose to live our lives in Jesus' way with the knowledge of his truth and his freedom. But it all comes down to choice. And sometimes that choice isn't easy. Sometimes there are sins that we enjoy. Sometimes, you shouldn't be saying that from the pulpit, but let's be honest, sometimes sin can be very enjoyable. But it leads to death. As the scripture says, there is a way that seems right to man, but the ways thereof lead to death. So while sin may have pleasure in the moment, for a time, it doesn't give us the greatest fulfillment, which is to follow Jesus. And so if there are things in our lives, things that get in the way, we need to get rid of them. We need to turn our back on them. Because in Galatians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, as Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burned again by yoke of slavery. Now, the background to that is this whole Jewish religion thing coming out again, the religiousness of man. They wanted, um, obviously, Galatia. Paul had been preaching to Gentiles, people who weren't born as Jewish people, who'd come to know Jesus. And suddenly along were coming these uh, Jewish believers who were saying, Abba, you've got to be circumcised. You know, Paul said, look, you were set free. You weren't set free to go back into slavery. You were set free for freedom. And you know, sometimes, as a follower of Jesus, we can get, still get caught out in religion, in practices, in things that are not helpful to us. Whatever, however we worship God, however we live for Jesus, it must ultimately help us to become more like him. It's not about making a religion. It's not about pew filling. It's not about, you know, making us people that genuflect in a certain way or bow in a certain way or, uh, or we sing certain, we have to sing choruses or we have to sing modern songs. Or it's about your heart of following Jesus. All these things can have their place and can help. But ultimately, it's about following Jesus. It's about being like him. Jesus didn't want us to stay in slavery. And if there are things that you're struggling with in your life that you feel enslaved to, 
can be a thought pattern, can be anything that you're doing. It can be a sin, a very private sin or whatever. If you're caught up in something which, where you're not free, God wants to set you free. And if you can't do it on your own, remember, I love the story of Lazarus coming out of the grave when Jesus told him to come out. But Jesus then turned to the other people who were there and he said, take the grave clothes off him. And whenever we're caught up in anything that's ungodly, anything that's sinful, it's like the grave clothes on Lazarus. Lazarus. And God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free, but he may need others to come alongside you to pray with you and help you. And if you are struggling with something, talk to somebody you can trust. Come to somebody you can, you can trust and ask them to help you through. Be accountable to them so you can overcome whatever that thing is, that they can always ask you the awkward questions. Are you still struggling with that thing? How are your thoughts this week? How's your life, lifestyle? You know, are you living? Are you choosing to go God's way? And you know, God will set you free, but sometimes it needs to be in the company of community who can pray for, you, pray for you and love you through it. So we're called to live the Jesus way. We're called to be like him, to hold on to his teachings, choosing to build our lives on Jesus' teaching, learning and living out what Jesus taught. Now, I haven't got it all together on this one, I have to say. I'm still learning, and it is a lifetime's learning experience. It's not just an intellectual ascent to Christian doctrines. You know, you can know all these, a list of Christian doctrines. It always used to be on a church where, well, before they had websites, but every church denomination would have a booklet or something, and it would always give you a list of all their doctrines, all the things that they believe in. And those things are good. There's nothing wrong with them. It helps us to keep within the truth. But if we, all we do is sit down with this list of doctrines and say, yeah, I believe in that, whether it's the Nicene Creed or anything, or the latest AOG list, whatever it is, a doctrine, it's important, but ultimately... It's living out the truth. It's living out the truth that Jesus gives us. And in, it always reminds me of this, the, the challenge that Joshua gave, gives in Joshua 24, verse 15. He says, you must choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice our Christian life is a choice. It's like marriage is a choice day by day to love the person you're with, even if sometimes they do things that irritate you. It's choosing to love them. Marriage isn't about a, a lifetime of romance, although romance is something that can be cultivated. It's about a life of making choices, making choices. When the grass seems greener on the other side, when you see somebody else's partner, husband or whatever, or wife, it's, and you look at them and you think, wow, I wish my partner was like that. I tell you what, it's never greener on the other side. 
because everybody has their issues. But being faithful to your partner is a choice you make day by day, moment by moment. Same with friendship. You can fall in and out of friendships as much as you like, but the friendships that last are the ones where you choose to love each other despite what you know about each other, despite what goes on in, in each other's lives, to choose to love them, even on a bad day. Choose to go Lord, the Lord's way, to serve the Lord. It's knowing the truth. Going Jesus' way is knowing the truth. Jesus is the embodiment, as I said before, of God's truth. Knowing Jesus is to know the truth about him and about ourselves. Jesus answered in John 14, verse 6. Now, I'm giving you a spoiler alert on this because this is coming up in the future, and I'm not sure who's speaking on this yet because I don't think we've got that far, have we? Oh, we have. All right. Maybe. Okay. But the verse is this. Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I had a very interesting conversation with a bar, somebody of a Baha'i faith uh, once, and they, they were coming out with all these things. And the husband was a, was a Christian, Catholic Christian. But still, he was a Christian, very devout Christian. And this lady was talking to me about her Baha'i faith and uh, how she followed the teachings of this particular man. She said, of course, everybody can be part of the Baha'i faith. doesn't matter where you're from, if you're a Hindu, a Muslim, a Christian, a Buddhist, or whatever. You can belong to it. And you can find God through it. And I remember suddenly saying to this lady, as your husband knows, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God except through Jesus. Now, that did shut the conversation up. But I thought it has to be said. And the older I get, when I hear this stuff being said, at one time I used to be very conciliatory and try and find my... These days I think, listen, life is finite. I have either got to say it as it is or just let it go into the ether, because I think there will come a point when I come before the Lord, I want to hear him say to me, enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in. I want to be good and faithful in God. I don't want to find there's a whole list of things that I could have said or could have done, and there probably are. What is known very often as the sins of omissions, the sins where the things we should have done the things we should have said, the thoughts we should have had, but we didn't, the sins of omission. But we know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you really want to know what it is to have a full life, an abundant life, if you really want to know what truth is, despite what Donald Trump and others try to tell you, well, that's all lies, all, none of it's true. There's no such thing as truth and all the rest. And we live in this generation that says there's no such thing as absolute truth. I've got a, a wake-up call for this generation. There is. The absolute truth is Jesus and his teachings and his ways. Now, that might sound arrogant. It might sound that I'm inflexible or whatever. But I'm telling you, 
if Jesus said it, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. And I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of what God has called me to and what he wants to call us all to. But he wants us to live in freedom. Jesus, Jesus says in Luke 4, verse 18, God has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. In his manifesto, when, as he reads out his manifesto as to what God has called him to, he says, I have come to bring freedom to the prisoners. If you are prisoner to something today, whatever it is, Jesus wants you to be free. He wants to set you free. And in, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you're not free, you have to ask yourself, where's the Spirit of God in this? Where am I with Jesus in this? But Jesus, where Jesus and the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there's a choice we all have to make, and we have to make them daily. I've had to make the choices to follow Jesus a lot in my life. You think that the only choice you make is the choice about following Jesus when you actually get converted, when you actually choose the first time. But I'm telling you, it's an ongoing thing through your life, choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to go the Jesus way. As I said earlier on, God has no grandchildren, only children. So you can look back on your family history. God's not interested in that. He's interested in you being his child and his alone. We cannot live off the backs of our ancestors. Jesus offers us truth and freedom. And you know, when God gives a gift... I've been wondering how God wanted me to use this particular scripture. When God gives a gift, he says, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Romans 11, verse 29. Now, he's speaking specifically about the children of Israel, but it's true of everything in the Christian life. If God has given a gift, he won't take it back. You know, when I, on one occasion, I went to, when I went to work for Care for the Family, I've been pastor in a church, and I just felt, I came to a point where I felt God said to me, you need to step aside from the leadership in this now and to follow me in another stage in your life. And I tell you what, that was hard. It really was hard. But one of the deacons in the church, a really godly man, came up to me and he said to me, why are you giving up? Why are you giving up the ministry? This is what God has called you to. I think I said this before, actually. But God said to me very clearly, I've called you to be a servant. Whatever I want you to do, I want you to do. Now, whether that's in ministry or anything else, I want you first and foremost to be a servant and do what I want you to do. And do you know what I found out? I went into care for the family, and I found that day by day, with the people I rubbed shoulders with and the the conversations we had, the times of prayer that we had together and things like that, that actually I did a lot more pastoral work in that situation than I ever did in full-time pastoral ministry. It's not to say that full-time pastoral ministry is not right. There is a place and there is a time when God calls leaders to be full-time. 
But you know, if you've got a calling on your life that God has given you, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in the workplace or whether you're, when I say the workplace, whether you're in your daily job or whether you're in ministry of some kind, whether you're a missionary, whether you're, you're a church leader, whether you're leading or involved with a, um, a parachurch organization or anything else, God will use the gifts that he's put within you. God will use those gifts. God will, maybe you're going, your workplace is going through redundancy and you can see people struggling, people really not knowing what the next step is and maybe God's put you there to encourage and to help and to support those people, to stand with them and to say, God will not let you down. God will be with you. He'll see you. Just trust him in this step. Trust him that he'll help you through it. And God can use you in all those sorts of things. But you know, God wants you to be free. And my experience in church leadership over the years as a pastor is that some of the most bound people are people that like to portray the fact that they're the greatest Christians. The sad thing is, we can all struggle with bondage, all struggle with sin. All of us can be slaves to something or other, but Jesus wants you to be free, and the purpose of following him is to set you free. Nothing is too big, too difficult, or too unseemly for God to deliver you from it. And I know that from personal experience. God is prepared to reach down into your very innermost part and set you free. The question is, are we open enough? Are we real enough about who we are to let God do it? Are we in that place where we say, Lord, I want that freedom? Now, if you're in that place, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask people to help you. Because I tell you, it's much better that to happen than for you to feel a momentary embarrassment or, or shame about whatever it is that you've struggled with. It's much better to go through that and have a future and an eternity of freedom in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our listening ears today. Lord, I haven't had my time clock with me today to tell me I've gone over time, so I haven't got a clue how long I've spoken today, but I thank you for the patience of these good folk here today to listen. But I pray that you will take what I've said today, even if a lot of it wasn't relevant to individual lives, but Lord, if there are things that you've said to individuals today, to all of us, that you want us to deal with, even me, because Lord, I know I'm not above any of this. As Paul was able to say, I am the chief of sinners. Lord, we all know how that feels. But I ask, Lord, today that you would come and set us free, that you come and take our lives and set us free. 
come and seek out those who can help you if you need it, whether it's prayer afterwards or while the worship's going on now. If you feel, I want to break this bondage, maybe you don't feel comfortable enough about sharing it, but you just want prayer, then don't be afraid to go to one of the leaders or whatever and say, will you pray for me? I just have an issue I need to deal with. Don't be afraid to ask. Bless you.